Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians. Galatians and chapter number six. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one near or around you, perhaps in the seat back in front of you, perhaps maybe in the seat back behind you, and you're going to look across the top for the name Galatians. That's the book of the Bible that we are in. Then you're going to look for the big number six. So Galatians and chapter six. It is the final chapter of the book of Galatians. Here we are. We're at the end. Uh, I think probably two or three more messages, and then we'll be finished with our study in Galatians. We'll do a couple weeks uh, around the Christmas season, looking at the Christmas story, and then into the new year, uh, we'll start a brand new study, one which I'm very excited to be able to launch into, and so more on that in the weeks to come. But for right now, we are in Galatians in chapter 6. If you found your place, would you stand with me, if you're willing and able, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, down to verse Number six, Galatians chapter six, little number one down to little number six. That's how we all find our place for our time together studying God's word. Verse number one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth all good things. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Last week we were finishing up chapter number five. And we said this is the clear and present reality in our lives, and that is that we live with the presence of sin in our life. And that while sin is present, it does not have to be dominant. That Christ, when he died on the cross for our sin, and that we, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we crucified our flesh and our sin with him on the cross. So that when you believed on Jesus, you were made right in the eyes of the judge of the universe. That God declared you at that moment holy, righteous, accepted because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And that also, in the moment that you believed on the Lord Jesus, he reserved for you an inheritance which is eternal and cannot fade away. And that is where all of us, if we have believed 
If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is where we are headed. We're headed to our home in heaven, which is preserved and kept and secured because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we said was in the meantime, you remember? In the meantime, we're living on this, this life right now. We used the example last week of where Jesus tells Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And how many of you remember we had, we had uh, Ethan come wrapped like a mummy out here and he came hopping down here to the front, right? Lazarus has been given life, but he's still wrapped up in grave clothes. We said this is, this is the way it is for us as believers. We've been given life. But man, how sin and, and the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, how it comes into our life and it ties us up. It trips us up and it keeps us from doing the things that we know we should. And it causes us to do the things that we know we shouldn't. And none of us are happy about that. And so what we said was in Galatians 5, now walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? So, man, he says, instead of going through life all tied up like a mummy and hopping around trying to get place to place, right? He said, instead, walk in the Spirit. And that when we walk in the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, when we keep in step with the Spirit, well, then, man, then the fruit of the Spirit will be evidenced in our lives. The love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. That we have real freedom to go after Christ when we are, and only when we are, walking in the Spirit. Oh, but like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, right? So, man, I have this desire in my heart to want to go after the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to walk in the Spirit, but so many times... Man, I find myself hindered, tripped up, stumbling and falling through this life. Why? Because I'm not walking in the Spirit, but because I am, man, going the way of the flesh, accomplishing the works of the flesh. All of that as re review of last week. So if we are walking in the Spirit, what will we do? We will then, man, fulfill the law of God and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But... While we go through this life, it is true that there will be those who sin against, offend, and hurt you and me. And so the instruction in Galatians 6 is now turning toward what happens or how should we respond when there are those who come in our lives who offend us, who hurt us who say hateful or mean things against us, who sin or do wrong toward us. Go, how should we respond? Go, what should we do? Go, look at verse number one again of chapter number six. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. We've said this over and over in the last almost three years, that spiritual people do spiritual things. And unspiritual people do unspiritual things. So if you want to know if you are spiritual or if you are unspiritual, then all you have to simply do is get the mirror out and look into the mirror and see what are the things which you have done. Are they spiritual or are they unspiritual? 
So here's what he says, his instruction in verse number one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then ye which are spiritual, this is what spiritual people do when someone hurts them, offends them, sins against them, is overtaken in sin around them. Here's what spiritual people do. They restore such an one. Well, well which one? Well, the, the one that, that's overtaken. The one that's tripping and stumbling and entangled and falling. That they restore this person with a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So three ideas about how we respond to people in our life who do things to us that are hurtful or wrong or harmful or mean or cruel. Okay? So just before we jump into this, three ideas before we do. How many of you in the room would say, Pastor, someone has been mean, hurtful, offensive, or wrong toward me at some point or another in my life? Let me see. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Don't do a Baptist hand raise. Not one of those. Okay, keep it up. Let me see. Okay, look around the room. That's all of us. That's every one of us. And how many of you know the same was true for the Apostle Paul? People were not just saying mean things about him. They did say mean things about the Apostle Paul. But they were not just saying mean things about him. They actually took the Apostle Paul out of town, stoned him, threw him off of a cliff, and then left him for dead. How many of you would say that's a pretty mean thing to do to somebody? I've been angry toward co-workers and neighbors, but I've never drugged them over to a cliff and thrown them off, right? Nor have I ever been thrown off of a cliff by somebody. And yet the Apostle Paul was. And so here's his instruction. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Three things. Number one, what should we do? We should, number one, pick him up. We should, number one, pick him up. I did not say we should pick him apart. I did not say we should pick a fight. I, I did not say we should pick out his eyes like the raven. No, no, no. Pick him up. And we should, as spiritual people, we should be willing then to pick him up. And what do we mean by that? We should be willing to confront one another in love. Okay, so let's look at the verse. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... So the idea here is not that you have busted someone. The idea is not that you have caught someone doing wrong. The, the, the idea is not that you are some kind of sin detective or offense detective. That you're, that you're running around looking for someone to do something wrong and then going, Aha! I got you! You did wrong! Now I'm going to make it right. No, that's not the idea. The, the idea is, listen, Brethren or brothers, if a man be overtaken. The word overtaken means entangled or ensnared or tripping up or, or falling. Actually used in other places with the idea of drowning. So, so brother, brothers, brothers, brethren, if you see a man who's, who's tripping up, stumbling, falling, entangled, ensnared or drowning in sin or wrong, then ye which are spiritual... You who are spiritually minded, walking in the Spirit, you should be willing then to see this brother or sister is drowning and pick him up. So help him up. Not kick him while he's down, but pick him up. Okay, so, so three ideas. Number one, there is someone who is struggling. 
We all just testified a minute ago. We know people who have sinned against us. They've wronged us. They've offended us. They've said things mean or hateful about us. They've done wrong toward us. So there is someone who is struggling. This is not new. This is, this is not uncommon. You live long enough and someone will say something mean to you along the way. You live long enough and someone will do something wrong to you along the way. Live long enough and somebody will, I mean, it, was, it was testified just a minute ago. I mean, almost every hand, at least that I could see, went up in the air. Hey, pastor, that's happened to me before. Then that's all of us. No one is exempt from that in this life. Why? Because we're sinful men at best. Because we're, you and I are sinful men at best. So there's someone who is struggling, but there is also someone who is spiritual. That's letter B. So, brethren, if a man be overtaken, drowning, entangled, ensnared. Remember the idea of Ethan wrapped up like a mummy? So this person is being wrapped up with the choices that they are making. This person is being tied up in sin or wrong. This person is being bound up in bitterness. This person is being bound up in anger or pride. This person is being tied up with this sin. So this person is being tied up, someone struggling, then ye who are spiritual, so letter B, someone spiritual. Then ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. So we see a brother or a sister who is being tied up and tangled with, with the affairs of this life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, bitterness, uh, hostility, resentment, uh, greed, covetousness, lust, adultery, immorality, uh, whatever it may be. You see someone who's doing this. Now, we as the responsible party should, should act in a spiritual way toward them. And so we, what we know from the study of this book is someone who is spiritual is not someone who is on the, the varsity team of faith. In fact, you'll remember a few chapters ago where the Apostle Peter thinks that he is spiritual. And he, he's eating food with the, with the Gentiles and then the Jews show up and then Peter goes, oh, and then he goes over and he eats with the Jews and he's, and he's talking bad about the Gentiles. And then Paul confronts Peter on this. Isn't that an interesting concept? That Paul withstood him, the Bible says, to his face. That he got right in his face and he said, Peter, what you just did was wrong. Right? So the idea of being spiritual is not, oh, I have a position or I have a title. I've been in church a long time. The idea of being spiritual is exactly what is in line with chapter number five. And that is someone who is walking in the spirit. So someone who is walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, this is the kind of response that they will have. Someone who is spiritual, walking in the Spirit, will respond this way. Someone who is walking in the flesh, now not spiritual, will respond in that way. That's what he's saying. So this is to people who are walking in a spirit, that if you think a brother has wronged, offended, done wrong, then you are, look at me, you are supposed to restore him. Look at me. Supposed to restore him. Look at the verse. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, pretend like it never happened and ignore him. Is that what it says, yes or no? If that's what your Bible says, you have the wrong copy. No, no, no. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. So those 
of us or you who are in the Spirit, our job then is to engage a brother or a sister who is entangled, ensnared, and to do what? To restore them. That is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, restoration. And how do we accomplish the goal of restoration? We do not go around like detectives. Right? The Holy Spirit needs no help. We do not go around detectives waiting for somebody to do something wrong. Ha ha ha, got you. You did wrong. Now I'm here to restore you. Aren't you so glad I'm here? No, we don't do that. But if they're overtaken, if they're, if they're struggling, if they're, if they're ensnared, if they're tied up. So let me, let me clarify this idea. This is not the idea that somebody has a bad day. And anytime somebody has a bad day, man, we're quick to pounce on that. Oh, you had a bad day? Oh, let me help you with that. I'm very spiritual. You're not obviously very spiritual, so I'm going to help you. This is not someone handled something poorly. This is not just somebody had a bad day. Listen, if somebody has a bad day, I have a, a tendency to think, look, the Lord will deal with them in his own way, in his own time. This is not somebody has a bad day, but this is a behavior or a attitude or a response becomes pervasive. It becomes a sort of pattern to their life. If you see a sort of pattern to their life, not a, not a one-time decision because it was a bad day, not a one-time they handled a situation poorly. We are all guilty of that. This is, man, this is a, a consistent, pervasive pattern being played out in this person's life, and we see that. And we see how their choices now are being made directly against God's Word. We see how the things they're doing, the things they're engaged in are in direct conflict with God's Word. We see the things that they're saying are in direct conflict with the, God, with the way that God says we should say something. We see a, a pervasive pattern in their life. Then we who are spiritual should then restore such an one with the spirit of meekness. And so we need to ask ourselves, how can we do that? How can we restore someone? Well, he, he tells us, look at verse number one again. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. So you have someone struggling. You have, you have someone spiritual. Let her see. You have someone sympathetic. So how should we go about restoration? Well, here's what he says. Spirit of meekness. Okay, so that, that speaks to our attitude, that speaks to our motive, that speaks to our demeanor, a spirit of meekness. We would understand this idea of the spirit of meekness, we would understand it with the word gently. Gently. Now, admittedly, the word gentle is a very relative term. How many of you know what I mean? Because you can, you can deal with someone in a way that you think is gentle, trying to be very kind, you're trying to be very careful, you're trying to frame your words. Just you can, you can think, oh, I'm being very gentle, but to that person, it felt like a sledgehammer. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Or you can deal with somebody in a way that's a sledgehammer, but you think you're being gentle. But you're not being gentle. You're, 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 you're attacking them with a sledgehammer. So he actually tells you how you can do this. Look at verse number one again. How do we approach someone with the spirit of meekness? Look at the verse. Considering, what's the word? Thyself. Considering thyself. Hey, so just, just work it backwards. How do we know if we are being gentle? How do we know if we're approaching someone in a way that's careful? How do we know we're having tough conversations with somebody in a way in which we are really only trying to restore them? Well, you are considering yourself. 
Is this the way you would want someone to approach you? Is this the way you would want someone to say something to you? Is this the way you would want someone to treat you? So the way that you are dealing with them is a way in which you would want someone to deal with you. Look, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the perfect example of gentleness is how Jesus responded to those who were trapped in sin. Think of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter number 8. Think of the Samaritan woman in John chapter number 4. Jesus engages both of these women. He deals with both of these women gently, but he also deals with both of them honestly. He tells both of them, what you've done is wrong. What you're doing is tying you up. What you're doing is tripping you along your journey. But let me help you. I'm not interested in just punishing you. I'm trying to help you so that you will be made whole again. So the way in which we ensure that the way we're dealing with someone who's entangled is that we turn that mirror on ourselves first. Considering thyself, keeping a watch on yourself, looking into your own heart first, thinking, is this the way I would want someone to deal with me if I were guilty of such a thing? And isn't that really where we have a problem? Isn't that really where we have a conflict? Because we would never do such a thing. Oh, so different from the Apostle Paul's spirit where he says, but by the grace of God, there go I. Oh, I would never do that. And immediately, as soon as we take that, uh, that approach, as soon as we develop that spirit, we've lost the spirit of meekness. We've lost the goal of restoration. And now we decide that we want to sit above them and rule over them in a way that we are right and they are wrong. And the goal becomes, I want to be right and I want to show you how wrong they were instead of the goal being, I want them restored. Look here, church. Look here, church. The goal is, I want them restored, not I want to be right. But we cannot reach the goal of restoration if the spirit is not a spirit of meekness, but a spirit of superiority. We, we cannot reach the goal of restoration if the spirit is a spirit that says, well, I would never do what they did. No, 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 no. All of us, all of us could be just as guilty as doing what any of us have ever done. Oh, but by the grace of God, the apostle says. I think it's funny, the apostle Paul, he, he starts off, uh, I'm the least of the apostles. Remember that when he writes his first letter? I'm the least of the apostles, which is kind of like a compliment. He's kind of like, yeah, you know, of the top 12 Christians, I'm number 13. I'm the least of the apostles, right? It's kind of like a pat on the back. He goes from the least of the apostles to a chief among sinners. Isn't, isn't that a, a, a weird way in which, he, from the beginning of Paul's ministry to the end of Paul's ministry, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm pretty good. I'm like number 13 on the scale of, of best Christians in the world. I'm like number 13. To where he writes at the very end and he says, I'm the chiefest am among sinners. Oh, wretched man that I am, but by the grace of God, I would do the exact same thing. See, and until we can, until we can have a spirit that's a spirit of meekness, 
until we're willing to consider ourselves lest we also be tempted, until we're willing to do that, well, then we cannot accomplish the goal. And what is the goal? That I'm right. No, no, no. What's the goal? Restoration. The goal is restoration. Remember Matthew chapter number 20, our study in Matthew last year? The landowner goes out and he hires guys to work in his field and he agrees that for a full day's work, he will pay them a denarius, which is one day's wage. He gets halfway through the day and he goes out and he realizes that he's going to need more workers. So he asks another group of workers to come and work half the day. And he tells them, you work half the day and I will pay you what is fair. Right? So they come and they agree, they work half the day. He goes out again, it's one hour left in the day, and he asks, he realizes there's more work that needs to be done, so he asks a group of men, come and work the last hour of the day, because I've got to get this project done, and I will pay you what is right. And so those guys worked one hour, a group of guys worked half the day, and then a group of guys worked the entire day, and now they line up and it's payday. And they stand in front of the landowner, and he starts with the people who worked least. He goes to the people who worked only an hour, and he reaches down into his pocket, and he writes out a paycheck, one denarius. What? A full day's pay for one hour worked. Those guys were like, hey, anytime you need me for an hour, you let me know. That's amazing, right? And the guys at the very beginning of the line, they start doing this. What? He gave, those guys an, he gave those guys a full denarius, which they worked an hour. We worked 12. So that means if they worked, we had 12 denarius. This is like, like two weeks of pay in one work because that's what's fair. Something you've never had to teach your children to say. That's not fair. Right? Anybody ever had to sit their kids down? Now, when you get something that's less than somebody else, what you say is, hey, that's not fair. Their piece of cake is bigger. Anybody ever teach their children how to say that? How many of your children say that? You better raise your hand. God's watching. Okay. Because I'll go get the nursery worker right now. Nobody taught their children that. They just respond, right? And so they're like, oh. And then he comes to the guys who worked half the day, and what does he do? He writes the paycheck, and he gives them one denarius. Those guys are thankful. That was a full day's pay off of, off of half a day's work. And they go, oh, thank you. Anytime you need half a day's work, you just let me know. I'll be, I'll be right back here. And then there they go. And then the guys who worked the full day, they're standing there. <laughs> Lay it on me. Twelve denarius. And what does the landowner do? He gives them one denarius. You had two hands out there. I can hold that in one. You gave, them, you gave them one denarius. They worked one hour. You gave me one denarius. I worked 12 hours. This isn't fair. Remember what Jesus says? Well, am, I not the, am I not the landowner? Can, can I do with, what I, with mine what, what I choose to do? Have I, have I wronged you and that I told you I would, I would give you more than that? Is not this the agreed upon price? Didn't we agree to this? Yeah, we agreed to that. Well, then I can, then I can give you that. Because we, because we agreed. Listen, God is faithful in this way, in that God always gives you not what you thought you would get, but in what he promised he would give you. You can count on God's faithfulness in this way. Not that God is predictable in your life. 
but that God always delivers what he promised he would deliver. But what God promises he will deliver is not always what we think we should get. Now, oftentimes we're like, oh, I'm getting 12. If God did that for that guy, and I know a lot of stuff about him. If God did that for him, well, then you have no idea how much God's going to give me. He's going to give me like 12 denarius. And then we get there and God gives us exactly what God promised he would give us. So God says to him, is, is this, is, is, it, is it wrong because I'm, I'm giving you what I promised I would give you? This is what we agreed on. Is, is, is this is the way it works in the idea of fairness. If, if, I, if I go out of town and I buy my kids something, I come back. Isn't, it, isn't our idea of fairness based on what everybody else gets? If I come in, I come back from a long trip, and I look at my oldest son, and I throw him a L.A. Lakers hat, and I say, hey, hey, I got your Lakers hat on this trip. Oh, wow. Man, thanks, Dad. I really wanted a Lakers hat. I'm like, great. I thought about you while I was gone, buddy. Man, I just want you to know you really mean something. Man, Dad, thanks for buying me this Lakers hat. This, you really mean something to me too, Dad. I really love you. I love you too, bud. And I walk to my second son, and I pull out an iPad mini. I go, hey, I thought about you while I was gone. Here's an iPad mini. How many of you know my first son, who was so thankful, just a minute ago said, oh, I'm so thankful you got me a hat. And now he's going to go, all I got is a hat? I can't even touch it. Does do nothing. There's no angry birds. There's nothing on this. This hat's terrible. You see, this is our idea of fairness. This is our idea of fairness. And that God has to give to me what he did for someone else. But is he not God? And can he not do what he wants to with what he owns? And this is, this is why we have a hard time picking up a brother who's fallen. I, I deserve a lot more than that. I didn't do what he did. I would never do what he did. I would never say that. I would never go there. I would never look at that. I would, I, I'm so much better than him. And if God, you gave him that, well, then you, listen, I'm waiting for that iPad mini. I'm getting 12 denarius. And God gives us exactly what he promised he would give us. And, and really the heart of it is, Matthew chapter 20, verse number 15. Jesus, of course, sees through their selfishness and pride. And Jesus asks, is thine eye evil because I am good? Oh, now there it is, isn't it? We view the goodness of God only as good if we get it and not if they get it. Is that I evil because I'm a good, generous God who loves to give freely to all men? And this is really the test of Christian maturity, isn't it? The, the test of Christian maturity is that God can do something good for someone else, and he does not have to do that for me, and he's still a good God. That God can bless them in a way that he so chooses giving them a denarius for an hour worked, but God has not wronged me in some other way. And yet, ultimately, this is the problem, isn't it? Now, we're okay with God being generous as long as that generosity is toward me. I'm okay with God being forgiving as long as that forgiveness is to me. And I'm okay with God being merciful as long as I get that mercy. And I'm okay with God being gracious as long as I get that grace. And I'm okay with God blessing people as long as it's me that's getting the blessing. But as soon as it's someone who wronged me, hurt me, said something mean about me, 
offended me, sinned against me. Well, then all of a sudden, hold on, God, that was not fair. Oh, that was not fair. And then this is the way in which we then approach life. But isn't it true that without God, all of us are idle outside in the marketplace? Isn't it true that without God, all of us have nothing? It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. No, it's according, it's according to his mercy he saved us. Hey, Romans 8, and he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also give us freely all things? Or how about he who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God by him? And the fact is, the landowner can do what he wants, and God does. But just because God does something different for someone else than he does for you does not mean God does not love you. No, God proved his love. You see, God commended his love in this, that he gave us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't serve God, love God, go to church in order to gain from God. We do these things because God has already given. We don't serve it away, which is, okay, God... Twelve denarius, you better load us up. No, God says, I'll do exactly what my word said it would do. Yeah, but that guy's a bad guy, and he only worked for one hour. Yeah, but ye which are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness. Let me illustrate it this way. Come here, Ethan. I like to pick on Ethan. It's my object lesson. Now watch this. I'll hold this right here. I'm a good, gracious, loving father. Ethan, I got these bag of for you. Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Man, those look like a lot of Skittles, a lot of rainbow fruit flavored right there. Could I have some Skittles? Seven Skittles, that's what I get. Seven Skittles. I give you a whole bag, and you give me seven. <laughs> so we become stingy with what God gives us. Well, why? Because all I have is a bag. Okay, Ethan. Two bags. Can, can I have some more Skittles? Oh, a whole bowl? Wow. He's a little more willing to give, isn't he? A good kid. Takes after his dad that way, not his mom. Well, what if I give to Ethan like this? Hey, Ethan, can I have some Skittles? Whichever ones are on the ground. Wow, I appreciate that. <laughs> and in this way, is this not the way that God gives to all of us? 
You see, but to the degree that you see God as stingy in what He gives you, you're that stingy toward other people. To, to the degree that all you see God forgiving, I mean, just one small sin, I would never do this, the bad stuff He did, I mean, to the degree that you understand the depth, the riches, the fullness, the measure, the extent of God's forgiveness to you, well, to that degree, you're willing to give to other people. You see, one of the reasons we have a hard time forgiving other people is because we don't really think that God had to forgive us very much. I mean, okay, pastor. Of course God forgives us of our sin. We know that. But he said something mean to me. Let's see. A sin? Something mean. It's like, this, it's like the man, the story Jesus tells, who owes the king $10,000. The king says, I forgive you your $10,000. You have nothing to pay me with, and I understand. And I forgive you because I'm a good and gracious king. And then that same man goes out and he finds somebody who owes him 10. And he goes, hey, you owe me 10 bucks. You better, you better, you better give me my $10. And they go, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have to. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get it. Okay, fine. I'm throwing you in debtor's prison until you give me my $10. And then Jesus says, in this same way, this is how we treat people in our lives. I'm going to hold you hostage for your 10 even though God has graciously forgiven me in all these areas of my life? To the degree that you understand all that God has poured out on your life is the degree that you are willing to pick up a brother or sister who is overtaken in a fault. And you need to hear what I just said. Because what I just said was, that it did not hurt. I, I, I did not say that it was not mean. And I did not say that what they did was right. What I said was, how much have you been forgiven? And to the degree that you see how much you were forgiven is the degree that you should be willing to forgive others. Not because what they did was right. It wasn't. Not because what they did was, was, was nice. It wasn't. And not because what they did didn't hurt you. It probably did. But what I said was, look at the degree to which God has forgiven you. And walk in the Spirit. Two warnings. If you have ever been a recipient of that kind of conversation, you know how difficult it can be. So we should, we should be two things when someone confronts us in this kind of a way. Number one, do not run and find people who disagree with what you were just told. This is the way in which we normally operate. Someone comes to us and says, hey, I noticed this about your life. And we go things like, no, 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 no that, that's not true. I, I know all kinds of people who don't think that about me. Right, but I'm, I'm seeing a pervasive pattern in your life. And I think, it's a, I think it's an alarming thing. 
I feel like you're being tied up, entangled, and, and are overcoming in this. I'm just trying to pick you up and restore you to a place that's good and safe. I'm trying to be careful. Yeah, but, but I, have, I have all kinds of friends who would say the exact opposite about me. You, you want to meet them? Because they think it's different. I would, I would encourage you in a way, limit the amount of cowards you put in your life. And by cowards, I mean people who tell you what you want to hear just because they know you want to hear it. Put spiritual people in your life. People who will say the things to you that you need to hear regardless if you want to hear it or not. The second warning. Do not go and look for the faults in someone else's life just because they've shown you a fault in yours. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. I've confronted someone about a situation. They say things like, well, well Pastor, you, wait, wait, you think you're perfect? No, I don't, I don't think I'm perfect. I'll be, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not. I'll gladly introduce you to 100 people who will tell you all the wrongs I've ever done. This is not a conversation about me being perfect, nor is it a conversation about you being perfect. This is a conversation about a pervasive pattern I see in your life that goes directly against the word and character and nature of our God. Do not let other people's shortcomings somehow remove any truth or weight behind what they just said. They said, 